Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and happy Cinco de Mayo. Welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 18th episode of 2021. You know, last Thursday, April 29th, the Fiber Broadband Association hosted a great webinar, What Really Happened to Start Off 904 Auction, a detailed book. And thank you for all of you that attended. We had a lot of really excellent questions. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get to all of them during the webinar. So we're going to be pulling together written responses and send those out to everybody because uh, we really want to make sure that all your questions got answered. And if you weren't able to attend last week, you know, go to uh, fiberbroadband.org slash webinars and you can watch the replay. But you know, today, before I formally introduce our guest, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers from our team who will walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to quickly go over a few logistical items. If all of our attendees would keep in mind that everyone is in listen mode only, to ask a question, all you need to do is type it into the question box that's located in your control panel to the right side of your screen. We'll host a Q&A session toward the end with our presenter. Uh, this presentation is being recorded and will be available to FBA members only on our website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. Uh, please take a minute and do that. We do appreciate your input. I'll pass it back to Gary now to introduce our panelists and get us started. Thanks, Trish. And a good again, good morning and welcome, everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we had a great session with Finley Engineering on the you know need state funding, grant applications, successes, and strategies. You know, with all the funding now available and what's coming out, we can be very, very confusing on the best strategy for financing your fiber broadband project. And today you know, we're going to continue our theme on rural broadband, and we'll be discussing the opportunities and challenges with stimulus broadband expansion projects and why we should do them anyway. Uh, our guest today is Brian Worthen, the CEO of Visionary Broadband. Brian has worked for two decades to develop better rural broadband across Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, Washington, and most recently, New Mexico. Worthen, whose initial management experience took place in the transportation industry, brought his hands-on philosophy to Visionary Communications in 2001. That approach translates to a solid knowledge of the industry, customer needs, forms the way Visionary does business. Retail brand Visionary Broadband offers retail broadband in 117 cities and towns and incorporated communities um, in that area. The company is currently rolling out fiber and microwave technology to deliver gigabit speeds in these rural communities. Brian serves on the board of Encompass and also serves on the Wyoming Broadband Advisory Council. He graduated from the University of Wyoming with a degree in small business management with an emphasis on finance. So welcome, Brian. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me and I appreciate uh, this opportunity. 
Yeah, it's great to have you today. You know, launching and funding major, you know, fiber broadband projects can kind of feel daunting. Um, I'm certainly that our, our will be really interesting in hearing your firsthand accounts and be able to learn from your experience. You know, for our audience, you know, please type in your questions as we go. And so we'll get to the Q&A section. We'll be able to get to those questions. So with that, over to you, Brian. All right. Uh, I, there's a slide deck we have. I'm not used to slides, so bear with me. But uh, when we thought about the topic here, and we're new members to FBA, and we're excited about this and, and excited about the discussion, because this is the discussion that everyone will be having this year, is how do you, how do you prepare yourself for uh, working a funding project if you're a builder or a provider and uh, th there's a lot of different uh, uh, funds available right now and what's interesting about us is we actually are a private company uh, when we took on a project in fact if you could hit the slide please uh, we we were recipients of funds in Wyoming that came out of the CARES grants and uh, in 117 days we put up 56 towers and almost 60 miles of fiber, including fiber through four communities. Um, so that it was a very busy last quarter of last year. Um, and uh, it, was, it was busy prior to that because we were putting in grant applications. In fact, we played the field and we put in 39 grant applications. Uh, the point being that our staff had to prepare uh, early in the year following the CARES legislation to be ready, identify areas, and and actually look where there's the most need and put together some some grant applications. And out of those 39 grant applications, we received 15. Uh, so we were very busy. And and uh, I, all I can say is in January we took quite a bit of time off. Um, but these these pictures are indicative of the type of work. And fortunately for us, there was some good weather last year. Uh, we could have it was it was below zero for a solid three weeks, but there was no snow and we could still work. One of the things my staff wanted wanted me to point out is this picture was taken early on in the process. The uh, stack of paperwork you see in front of our controller, Toby here, is uh, uh, the billing that we had to send. So in our, in our state, the program was written in such a way that it was a reimbursement program. And so we had to fund the work in a construction loan fashion, uh, do the work, and then, and then submit for uh, uh, payment. And so it was uh, it, because we're a uh, private private company. We we went to our local bank and we said uh, we need some we need some uh, bridge funding and and uh, they worked with us and we balanced that out and completed this project uh, on time, but with a much larger stack of of bills in the end. What the the most rewarding part about this is uh, during COVID oil uh, production in we're we're a state where there's where there's a lot of fossil fuel production. Oil production was slow, and the crews in the field were were not working. And this is uh, I'm, I'm from a I'm from a coal mining town and an oil town, uh, and and this was hard for everybody because uh, they could see their friends out of work and and uh, just just sitting on the sidelines. Uh, during this process, we actually put to put to work uh, three fabricators, nine oil field contractors, and 16 construction companies. So we managed all those uh, those those vendors. The gentleman here that you see on the left uh, in the in the gray hoodie, uh, he's he's the nephew of a guy I was in 4-H club with when I was a kid, and uh, he he and his his crew did quite a bit of work for us. And even after uh, our our grants, uh, he's still doing work for us because they they actually did the work a little differently. Uh, they they took um, 
some of the work that we doled out to them and said, you can do so much more in the shop. And uh, they, they started erecting towers and, and whatnot. So we, we had them work, working mostly the towers and solar panel installation. And they did a lot of the construction in the shop, whereas traditionally our tower crews would do the construction in the field and it'd take two days. These guys were able to put up a tower in eight hours because they did most of the work in town. So we, we saw what these guys did. And not only are they very creative, uh, we've adapted to their way of doing things. And uh, that was another benefit. But the, like I said, the rewarding part of this was we put some people to work that were that were basically sitting around waiting for the the oil to pick up, and uh, it's that's been a really good uh, feel good story for us internally to talk about. This is something I want to this is something I want to talk about, um, and I don't want to rush through rush through too much of this, uh, and I definitely want to want to uh, allocate time to Q and A. There were a number of challenges the last time. Um, and the, the challenges are around the 477 data and the FCC mapping. So providers obviously submit their own data and it's not validated. Uh, there's no, there's no um, uh, sort of uh, Q&A from, from uh, the FCC on is this valid, is this accurate? And so it's self-reported data. And what we found was, in our case, the program put together uh, asked to factor in 477 data but what was interesting is there was some there was some uh, uh, heartache with with some other providers during the process where where the uh, the CAF two uh, the funds that were handed out in 2018 or, or approved in 2018 uh, were not factored in and this was an interesting stance because the state says we have a we have an opportunity between September and December 30th to deploy broadband whereas uh, CAF two is a is a you know a six-year program so you know as far as as far as rollout so we feel that these funds are better deployable as as short-term cares funds uh and and uh there was not as big of a concern over that mapping data uh and and that was that was something that was interesting because it takes a bit of uh it takes a bit of backbone in this environment to in this telecom environment to actually uh to actually say this this program is better, the program we put together is better, and that's and that's ultimately what Wyoming uh, what Wyoming did, and they put together a great program, and multiple providers participated, and they moved the needle on broadband in Wyoming. But I don't want to keep speaking, Gary. Do you have what are your thoughts at this point? So just on that point, so why do you think the Wyoming program is better? Well, the here's here's the reason why the Wyoming program was was really good is CARES were short-term funds that had to be expended by December 30th, 2020, and uh, CAF2, which had just rolled out the year before, um, the uh, the timeline for building is three to six years, right? And so you're incentivized to build it in a shorter term, but it, you're not going to move the needle as a as a CAF builder in a certain amount of time. Same thing for RDOF. There these these are, you know, six-year programs, and they la the funding lasts 10 years. And so the the concept was, and I think this is this is the learning that that uh, everybody can take away from this um, as their states develop new programs uh, around ARPA is you have to take the stance that these funds can move the needle faster than some of the the previous federal funds and the dollars we're talking about at the ARPA level and the under the, the Klobuchar 
uh, a Klobuchar, a Clyburn bill, um, they're they're much bigger than RDOF. Uh, you know, the the for instance, the FCC handed out in in the the RDOF round, uh, you know, ha hasn't approved yet, but they've uh, the auction closed at nine billion. The amount of money we're talking as a result of COVID and stimulus dollars is 10 to 15 times that amount. And so that, that money is going to move the needle. But the point is, and I want to get back to this, is this slide here. Uh, the FCC maps have allowed, have allowed providers, and it doesn't matter if it's a phone company, a cable company, a provider, like a builder like myself, uh, a utility, a municipality, People, everybody submitting their 477 data allows them to mark their territory. So what you see here is, and, and I wish we'd drawn this map a little better, but you see Montana, a little bit of Idaho, uh, Utah, Wyoming, Colorado. We're, we're analyzing, uh, we've analyzed Wyoming, Montana, Colorado in this map. The red is all the remaining census blocks that don't have 25-3. What the point I'm making here is, and we've been focused on this for, for quite a while here, is if you've got $90 billion coming for broadband specifically, this following ARP money that is able to be used for broadband at a state and local level, which is towns, counties, cities, um, how do you put that much funds in the market when you're talking these few census blocks? And th granted, there are some, some little pepperings of smaller census blocks, but I can tell you this, RDOF was accumulate, an accumulation of areas that were really remote and not very fundable um, that were left over after CAF, ACAM, all these other programs, CAF 2, CAF 2, Auction 903. And so ultimately the RDOF in my eyes was the, the dregs, right? The, the most rural of rural, and these programs are necessary. Uh, you know, the, the, the intent of RDOF is, is whole, where you're trying to get broadband to an area that does not stand on its own, cannot be justified on its own, has no ROI, and is, no, is really not an area that's enticing to any provider without some sort of funding. But the funding that's coming out of ARPA and coming out of this uh, you know, 90 to $100 billion broadband specific program, my contention is, these blocks are not going to be enough. There's not a population center around these, these remaining blocks. And so my suggestion and advice and the, the discussion we're having with multiple states is you have to change the definition of broadband. And I think that anybody on this, uh, uh, on this webinar would agree a three meg upload, it's not good enough. We, we, in fact, I, I think the best way to summarize this in the 1996 Telecom Act, the, the, the phrase digital divide was coined. That was 1996. We're still talking about the digital divide. Why? Exactly. So we have a, a whole lot of questions here, Brian. Um, so the first one here is, what tools do you use to plan your fiber rollout? And what to tools did you uh, use uh, in, your, in your team? Well, as far as the fiber rollout, um, specific to to our broadband project quarter four of last year, we, we used a series of contractors and engineering firms and their own documentation. And so we store our fiber um, plans in Vetro uh, Fiber. Um, and that's where we, we store a lot of our engineering. In fact, we store all of our shape files and a lot of our other company data in Vetro Fiber. Uh, but we're, pl we're planning in Vetro uh, mostly. We use, a, we use a BRE tool to do quick estimates of of a town or you know so, you know to establish 
uh, a comparison between microwave and fiber because we we do uh, we we do roll out both technologies and we have to. We're just you know my my HQ is in a state of of uh, six people per square mile. It's the second least populated uh, or least dense state in the in the union. So we have to be very creative with regards to our technology, and we actually put put a lot of our microwave data and shape files into Vetro as well. And what about the field? What are they using to keep up with the, the project? They're they're using uh, a variety of tools, and I and and I, I don't know if I was fully prepared to answer that question. It's that's one of those things where I I have a great team, and uh, uh, in fact I've we we worked hard to recruit some very good people uh, on our on our fiber side. And uh, to be frank about, it, I let them run with a lot of stuff. Uh, well, let's uh, let's follow up on that one. Um, we have a written response um, to make sure Claudia gets her answer on that. Uh, so another question is, you know, you were able, can you share how much bridge funding that your local bank was willing to provide you? And ha has it been a challenge to getting, you know, the local bank to commit to, you know, what you consider substantial and meaningful local funding? Um, so this person is struggling with their financing and, you know, working with local banks. Yeah, that's a great discussion topic it, because here's the thing, and, and I've already laid out that we're a private provider. Um, private providers are a bit of a disadvantage right now. Um, the reason I say that is if I'm a phone company, like a small independent, uh, I can I can receive 10 to 15 year funds out of the RUS program. If I'm a utility, I can receive 20 year funds out of the RUS program. Um, but a local bank, uh, when you walk in the door and, and you tell them your story and you put, you know, throw all your financial data in front of them, you, at best, you're going to get a seven-year note, or you know, most commonly, you're going to get a five-year, a five-year note. And so, your ROI um, goal is a lot different than a utility or a small phone company or even a cable company, which uh, I think there's a lot more funding mechanism out there for. And so, I, I would, I would put us in a very, um, in, in a very common group with other private businesses that are are bumping up against borrowing capacity. Uh, because in the end, to answer your question about the bridge funding, uh, we already had some loans at the bank. We, in fact, we worked with our local bank, and then they used a, the business and industry guarantee program through the USDA to be comfortable with it. Because here's a here's the bottom line: a bank is not ultimately comfortable with the broadband business because they can't put a key in it and lock it up at night, and they can't put a key in it and drive it off, right? And so there's really no there's really no repossession aspect of it, and and uh, uh, the banks really don't understand the the asset value uh, that's in the ground, and so you see a lot of equity guys in in the game. But the challenge for providers like myself, and I'm sure there's a number of people on the on the webinar right now that are in the same boat, you will bump up against uh, you know a 10 million dollar borrowing capacity or a 15 million dollar borrowing capacity, and then the bank taps out. And so, how do you build and how do you continue to roll out broadband infrastructure and the capital needed for that and, and move the needle in even your home markets when borrowing is so difficult compared to a small phone company or a cable company or a utility or even a municipality. Your uh, former neighbor, uh, you know, now he's uh, focusing on that as private, private lending to help provide the match and bridge and force a guy that understands these programs, and so I think there's some great opportunities out there. Uh, and another question is, um, which 
what programs did you apply for and were you successful with any? So the the this is the first time we've participated in funding like this. Uh, we've prided ourselves on growing on cash. We grew on cash till 2014 before we started borrowing for larger and larger capital builds. The the funds that we received were derived from CARES, but handed handed out by the state of Wyoming because it was a state program. And they and many states chose to do this with some of their CARES funds. They put together broadband programs, um, and so we. We received our funds from the Wyoming Business Council, and they deserve the credit for putting together this program out of CARES, knowing that there's a tight timeline. Great. And can you give an overview of the process that you go through to get your funds allocated to your project? It was a typical grant grant application where it's posted on a website. You had to pay attention. You had to respond in a certain amount of time. There were a Q and A. Um, you know, you had to go through that process, but it was multiple pages and data and you know the uh, one of the interesting things about our grants is we actually uh, we looked at the FCC uh, 477 maps we looked at the RDOF fundable area maps uh, we, we took some of our tribal knowledge internal and then one of the other aspects of this is we, we that got us to the point where we identified areas that needed additional broadband that you know we knew about and, and were reflected on on the FCC mapping. But we did something else that was interesting. We we actually, in the markets where we were looking at, at doing projects, and again, we did 39 grant applications, we called uh, other providers in the area and asked for service based on houses for sale on Zillow. And uh, it was interesting what we found, The and, and, and it really reiterated the fact that providers are reporting one thing and actually have another. Um, it, it, but it was a lot of work and we had staffers from multiple offices of ours calling in saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking to move into this area. Uh, I'm looking at th these three houses. What are my options for these three houses? And we learned a lot through that process. We thought we knew the, the landscape of broadband in, in our footprint and we learned a lot just through those calls. But we, we put a lot of effort into these grants and uh, many, you know spent many an hour and it was it was quite a bit of stress, quite a bit of work, and put all of our heart and soul into it, and and that's what came out of it was these these grant applications. Uh, so you have an interesting comment here on uh, commenting on the art of going through the drags. Uh, uh, certainly high areas, but uh, lots of gigabit bidders. So you know, we saw 85 percent of the 5.2 million um, locations going to gigabit. So um, which is great because. You know, I get notes every week from people that, you know, are close to broadband and so far away. So uh, that's great that uh, providers have been. Also, another comment, um, fellow Star Wars fan, loving your uh, original Star Wars poster in the background. So uh, I guess you got some fans here. Uh, so what are the minimum connection speeds you're trying to put in place? And what technologies are you doing that happen? Well, we're trying to put in place, if it's fiber, we're we're trying to go straight to a gig. And that's the point is, as we look at future programs and as providers are talking to their municipalities, their states, their, you know, and even federally, we should be talking about fiber first, right? Uh, true gigabit, uh, we all know the result of RDOF and that was your last session. Um, there are some RDOF recipients that were, uh, that were discussed in your last session that are in our footprint in southeast wyoming uh where where there are already three providers that have uh that have met that 
uh, FCC requirement. So it's a it's a frustrating process. But uh, the discussion around fiber is the most important. The everybody needs fiber. I don't care if you're a LEC, you're a cable company, you're a cell provider, you're a utility, you're a municipality, you're a broadband builder like myself. Everybody needs fiber, and we can keep funding microwave. And that's the interesting part is you're hearing from someone that the majority of my revenue is derived from microwave, from, from wireless technology. We're just now getting into that fiber game in the last five years. And I'm here to say the discussion should be around fiber because everybody needs it. We shouldn't be talking about whether it's 10 meg upload or 20 meg upload. How ridiculous is that, right? We need to be talking about gigabit and investment in the ground. You know, it's an easy discussion with the states. There's an investment in the ground. There's there's con uh, construction labor that will be that will be hired. There there's a uh, property tax and and uh, sales tax that will be paid. That didn't happen uh, when when other recipients received funds out of CAF2 and RDOF. Um, you know, there's there's some providers that are not land based and uh, they they uh, uh, those funds won't wind up in that state. So the discussion around fiber is the right discussion. A, a wireless extension at the last quarter mile, great solution. Um, but fiber is going to move the needle, and fiber is going to future-proof these areas. Absolutely. You know, as they say, get out of the air and into the ground at the first available point. So fiber is the friend to wireless. Yeah. Um, so what is the uh, the biggest uh, uh, detriment on getting on poles and underground permits in a time fashion? So is that a was that a big challenge for you guys? That's hard. We, uh, we had a few challenges. One challenge was we couldn't even get commercial power into some pedestals and some tower sites. And so we had to put in an intricate, I think during this process, we put a million dollars into solar and, and generators and propane tanks uh, because we knew we would not have commercial power at some of these sites. So that was actually, uh, and that's something that people don't normally think about. You think about getting commercial power in. When you've got 117 days to roll out, 117 calendar days, to roll out uh, services, you're going to find some way to power up that equipment, and and we had to use some of our funds to find find a way to power that equipment. We had to wire transfer money to to a uh, and, and this is a little made me a little nervous. We had to wire transfer money to a to a solar uh, vendor in Louisiana, and two trucks showed up a few weeks later. But it was it was a little nerve wracking to send the money and hope you get the equipment. Um, but it arrived, we, we put up these, these panels and powered up our equipment year in. The federal permitting was the, was the biggest detriment, the, the crossing of BLM and Forest Service land, it was impossible. And so we actually had to stop our, pro, our project at the borders of that. And we'll, we, we're still waiting on those permits. Um, to, to give credit to the state of Wyoming, the Wyoming DOT was phenomenal. Uh, we we actually leased land from them. We bought easements from private. We spent uh, during this process. We spent about five hundred thousand dollars on easements with with uh, uh, you know just just citizens and and uh, commercial uh, clients of ours to to cross properties with fiber and and figure out ways to go to 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 get this done done on time. Even even early on when we knew that there was a possibility of, of receiving grants in some areas. We actually started the franchise agreement process early uh, in some markets and and uh, obtained our franchise agreement before the before the grants were issued because we knew that that would be a, a long pole in the tent. And in some communities, we had to go in and say we'd like a uh, 
we'd like a license agreement while we work on our franchise agreement. And some communities really accommodated that. So it, it comes out of creativity. Uh, there's going to be headaches and, and hiccups and whatnot. In fact, one market I can think of, we were planning on using the utility and they were a little slow to work with and it was hard to get an agreement out of them. And we changed gears and decided to go the more expensive route and pay out of our pocket to go underground. And it, uh, it was double the cost, almost triple the cost. Uh, and so we've got a bigger, much bigger investment in that market than the grant paid for. Um, but uh, we still were able to com complete a, quite a bit of work on time. Great. I got lots of comments that uh, say your Star Wars poster is cool, but the vintage Apple equipment in the background is even cooler. So, um, <laughs> hey, we're we're out of time. Um, we had some other questions about, uh, you know, symmetric uh, gigabit and 100 meg symmetric and so forth. But Brian, you know, thank you so much. You know, it's really great to see um, companies like you get going out and fiber out to these communities that so desperately need it. And thank everybody for joining us this morning. Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing matching fiber speeds to in-home Wi-Fi and overall latency service expectations with Comscope's uh, CTO, Charles Cheevers. Um, so you won't want to miss that. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us today. And look forward to seeing you guys again next Wednesday.